So, it's been a year. How do you feel? How are you coping? Today, we talk with Brad Smallwood, licensed marriage and family therapist. Together, we discuss chaos management, practicing resilience, and how to talk yourself down from accepting invitations by your partner or spouse when they're trying to pick a fight. We'll look at how feeling good is actually hard work. Brad also examines therapist burnout during COVID, the pros and cons of Zoom versus in-person therapy, and how virtual appointments are definitely here to stay. In the second part of the show, Brad relates how his wife, a registered nurse in San Francisco, is no longer receiving the accolades and community support from COVID's early days. In fact, quite the opposite. Lastly, we will discuss the psychological motivation behind some of the conspiracy theories you may have heard this year, in particular the strange beliefs about the coronavirus that have cropped up during the pandemic. My name is Benjamin Russick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. Mr. Smallwood. Hey, Ben. How are you doing? It's been a year. Oh, man. We'll start with Tiger King, and it's been a blur since. (laughs) (laughs) Brad and I have, uh, he was walking up today to my apartment, and he was wearing his mask, and I wasn't because there was nobody around, and uh, hopefully no one will get mad at me for the one in a kajillion chance that a COVID flew out of my mouth and winnowed its way up my alley, got caught on the foot of a pigeon, was flown across the city, and dropped into the lap of a elderly immunocompromised individual who then caught it and died so hopefully that didn't happen and uh what did what did you say when we were both been double we've been double vaccinated what did you say i was like we're both going to survive this interaction (laughs) (laughs) we're both going to survive which i'm optimistic about still yeah you think so yeah i think we got this i don't know man i'm a little worried it was cool this last weekend i actually got to go hang out with both of my parents indoors with no masks oh they're both vaccinated i'm vaccinated like to actually like have dinner with them and just sit at the table Uh i hadn't done that for a year oh wow how did that feel it was great It was great to see them they're like nice people so it's like good to be around them sure (laughs) sure so we're going to start today by talking about therapist burnout and what that looks like i don't think it's something we've really talked about before part of what's happening is that the market for therapy is increasing because people can do it via zoom or via the phone and they're comfortable with it and so there's simply more patience to be had Mm -hmm. and so my practice has spiked has your spiked big time that's awesome you know but sometimes seeing 20 25 people in a week or 30 people in a week can be exhausting. (laughs) No, on one hand, it's like, it's felt really good to be helpful. And the sheer amount of help that is required from therapists in general and first responders is overwhelming. I ask myself that question all the time, like, am I burned out? And Mm -hmm. there's just some weeks where you end the week and you're so tired. Like I have heard about so much and helped people navigate so many different issues that they're going through, which are all very real. Not wears on a person, but it, it can become overwhelming to a person. But for the most part, I, I'm, I've been okay. I take really good care of myself. Not drinking, going to sleep early. I feel like I've I've been on a I've been training for a triathlon for a year mentally. It's strange in that like being a therapist isn't physically demanding work at all. No, and by definition, you just sit in a chair. But in terms of like keeping both your body and your mind good, mm-hmm. that is so important in terms of just handling the work itself. Yeah, like I, I hang out. I've got my my pod friends, of course. Don't be, don't don't worry, people. I'm not hanging out with everyone. <laughs> um, and we'll hang out, and I'm it'll be like ten o'clock. I'm like, I gotta go home. And I'm like, huh? What do you mean? We just got started. Where's the, the there's the wine and the thing? And I have to go home early 
not just to get to bed early, but to prepare to get to bed early, mm-hmm. you know, to get to bed, to like land, to like take us, because I can't just go home anymore at the age of 46. I can't just go home and like bam, 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 sleep. It's sort of like I have to go home and it's like a runway, you know, a long one. <laughs> Very long. Every year it gets longer. I, I found what's been most helpful is to be as consistent as possible. Mm-hmm. So I go to bed around the same time every night. Try to read before bed too. I feel like reading is a good natural kind of wind down and... Mm-hmm. I bought a new bed. That was tremendously helpful. Was it like a special bed? I mean, it's like one of those like memory foam ones. It's nice. king size. So it's like you walk in the room, it's like Brad Smallwood. I heard... Sorry, <laughs> that's a bad joke. <laughs> it's just a wonderful, it, it makes sleeping easier. You get higher quality sleep. Um, and I wake up at the same time every day. Wasn't it like a million dollars? It wasn't cheap. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't a million dollars, but it wasn't like, it wasn't free. Let's put it that way. <laughs> anyway, this is kind of boring. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> Man, let's talk about this last year, the pandemic. What have you seen? My phone sends me this like video every few weeks of like your memories. And it sent me this video from 2019. And I like, I went to Texas. I went to Thailand that year. I went to Yosemite. And it was just like all this really cool stuff of travel. Mm -hmm. And my 2020 album, I'm sure, will be like pictures of like my dog. Yeah. Just him sitting on the couch with us. Here's the kitchen floor. Here's your front door. There, you didn't actually see your front door in 2020. And I feel like I did a lot in 2020, like in terms of like my and my wife's routine. Mm-hmm. I went to my office every single day. I got a strong Wi-Fi connection to mm-hmm. do work in my house just isn't isn't possible because of space. Yeah. Okay. Um, you spoke a little bit about chaos management. Chaos management. Yeah. I think this last year for both myself and a lot of people, especially the folks that I work with, is helping people identify what they can and cannot control. There's a lot of things you can't control. You you can't control a virus. You can't control when it's going to be over. You can't control the actions of other people or even family members, like what they do online. You can't control what your friends are doing. But there's a lot of things you can control within yourself. You can control like your efforts, your actions. You can control your behavior and you can control your effort. That's a good basic place to focus on. In terms of like controlling my behavior, setting a regular wake up time every day. I wake up drink a bit of coffee and sit on my couch for about 20 minutes and just kind of collect my thoughts for the day, Mm -hmm. make my wife coffee. Then it's time to exercise consistently, which meant surfing. And if the surf sucked or was too crowded, which it often is now, I would go run and hike and stuff like that, which running totally sucks. But Mm -hmm. that's just what you do to, to stay like, physically and kind of mentally fit yeah i do this horrible yoga shit yeah i like yoga but i just i, I don't have the patience for it. i'm just kind of a i'm a mover so i'm gonna say something controversial i like yoga but fuck yoga Yoga's the enemy every time i go to yoga i come out of there feeling so good but while i'm at yoga i don't know i just i i'm it's 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 torture but it's good for you every time you come out of there you, you come away feeling clearer I've been doing like breathing techniques. I don't like doing that, but when I'm done, I love it. Yeah, I got, All the hard stuff is good for you. I, I got this guy that I work with, Ryan. I did a podcast with him on pain management, actually. It's a few episodes back, but he does this horrible mixture of yoga and weightlifting. Sounds kind of cool. It is cool, but it's horrible, and I hate him while I'm doing it. Oh, like, yeah. Like, I want to kill him. Yeah. Like, fuck you. All the good stuff's difficult, man. You know how you can like eat like a Snicker bar or you can make a salad? 
And the Snicker bar tastes delicious. How about a Snicker salad? I wish. I mean, if I make a Snicker salad with that, <laughs> like what would that be? Would there be peanuts? So a lot of people peanuts, there'd be some tolerances there. There'd be, what would you have instead of lettuce? You'd have, um, be like a Willy Wonka thing. Like, I don't know. This is a this is taking a weird turn. We're <laughs> talking about controlling chaos and this has become Well, chaotic. I'm just like, if I can, if I can work hard on something and then eat it and it's okay, I'll make, you know, this is, this is what it's come to in COVID, Brad. Snicker salad. <laughs> Come on. Tomorrow is the year anniversary of Shelter in Place in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. I remember my first Zoom appointments. It was like we were planning for people to be resilient for a month. Right. And I remember talking about like, oh, man, we've got this. And like, then it was like a month. And then it was like two months. And tomorrow's a year, which shows how resilient people can be. Mm -hmm. And we still got to keep being resilient. Yeah, people are tougher than they think. Big time. What are you seeing as far as resilience in your patients? I, I use the word invitations a lot in therapy. A lot of times, like especially working with anger, people will say like, you know, something happened and I got triggered. When you hear about that, it seems like anger or rage is a foregone conclusion when something that happens to you is an invitation to get angry or to respond. Give me an example. Okay, you come home. It's been a long day. You walk in, you're having a drink of water and someone says, hey, I, I saw you didn't take out the trash or something like that. And to say that... I'm triggered and you find a rage like, do you know how hard I worked? What, whatever, whatever the language is that you use and it becomes a I fight. See. That's an external trigger. That's something someone's doing to you. And very oftentimes what that means is like when that invitation gets like kind of metaphorically slid across the table, do you accept that and kind of blow things up? Or do you reflect and respond in, in a way where you can... Right. You can navigate that much more gracefully so, than screaming at somebody. Here's a question. Are you seeing that? Because the communication skills that we teach have become so much more vital in COVID. And like you can really practice them all the time. A lot of invitations, right? A lot of invitations. <laughs> a lot of people squished up together. Are you seeing that your patients are actually making progress as far as applying those tools in real time? Well, not just with the folks that I see, but just in general. We live in a city, too, where it's like we just arguably have less square footage than other places. That's and true. So I think people that live in San Francisco run pretty high anxiety to begin with. I think it's kind of a strength of ours in some ways, like it mm -hmm. helps us be productive, but it's also, um, it can kind of spill over. What can somebody do when they hear an invitation? Uh, what, are, what in the moment, let's say they, they, they get home, they do the thing, the other person says, dut, 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 and you know that this is the perfect opportunity for you to launch in and slice this person up. What can the person do in the moment, right there, right then, to stop and move in a better direction? Using a mindfulness skill of recognizing that's even happening. The second you can recognize something like that, that gives you the opportunity to take an alternative action. And that can be going for a quick walk, washing your hands with cold water, deep breathing, just stepping away so you go from a place of reactive to reflective. But recognizing it is probably the most critical step, just to recognize what is going on, because when you can cognitively recognize something that's going on, mm -hmm. that gives you an opportunity either to react yeah. negatively yeah. or to respond. I had a patient who was highly impulsive uh, okay. emotionally. They would get a feeling, and then they would take an action based on the feeling. Like, okay. I'm rageful, I'm going to yell at so-and-so, I'm upset, I'm going to go use that substance. I'm. In fact, I see this in a lot of patients, mm -hmm. that, that, sort yeah, of, that the feeling starts to... The feeling leads. Um, the analogy that I use is that the feeling function is like a tornado or like lava or like some sort of force of nature. And mm -hmm. the thinking function is something more man-made and constructed. 
and you can have a tornado that's large enough to destroy the city or you can have a city that's strong enough to withstand the tornado mm -hmm. and that the reflective stuff and the things that we're talking about is the man-made article in mm -hmm. a sense and one thing i had a patient do was to uh yell at themselves to actually say their own name out loud in the space and say so and so it's time to stop such and such yeah what, what is that called those are called uh i think it's reminders where you actually talk to yourself and say like you've been here before you yeah. can do this like this is your thing it's gonna be all right yeah is, is contrived as that can sound when you're describing that to somebody like to mm -hmm. really externalize what's going on yeah allows you to take like a zoomed out approach of the event one thing that i've struggled with during covid during the year of lockdown is food oh yeah yeah um because i'm i mean my thing is binge eating and mm -hmm. When I'm around my apartment all day long, I've got food everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I have to be very mindful about eating, which is painful because I'm like sitting there watching television or I'm doing my thing. And then there's like, you know, you know, rack of rib in the fridge or something that's, you know, whatever it is. But the things I've had to do is like I, when I, I go grocery shopping every couple of days mm -hmm. so that I don't keep a lot of food around. So I just, if I'm hungry, I go buy my meal and then that's it. Also, I really have to have these conversations with myself. Like, Ben, you know you're not hungry. This is just a craving. Um, mm -hmm. It's hard. Go drink a glass of water instead of eating a mouthful of XYZ. You know, when you said that, that that's hard. That That's something that's really difficult to describe to people because I will lay out these things as a therapist. It seems simple to me. But right. feeling good is hard work. Yes, it is. That's well put, man. Feeling good is hard work. I would love to be the guy that woke up at 9 in the morning and just kind of like watch TV all day, but yeah. I would be miserable. Yeah. But if I wake up at 5.30 and I collect my thoughts, I drink my coffee and I and I, I take an action to kind of take care of myself uh -huh. before caring for other people, mm -hmm. you learn to love doing the things that you do. Like if you have good routines, it's awesome. You know, right. I've got a, you know, my ability to either go surfing or go to jujitsu, like it doesn't get much better than that. No. And you really bring that to people. You'll, you'll share the information that yeah. you believe will be helpful and they'll be like, what you're saying to me is really hard. Sometimes it sucks to say that back to me. You're like, yeah, it's it's really difficult work. And I guess you have to decide, is it worth it or not? Yeah, I, I feel like people don't feel like they deserve a, 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 to be to live their best lives. I, I wonder about that too. Yeah, th there's definitely like a, a self-punishment aspect to that. But when you see people make the changes, and, and I'm not talking like just Pollyanna, everything's perfect and positive, but right. I'm talking about like a baseline of like feeling okay in the world. Like yeah. having good relationships, being good to yourself, like being connected to your work, like that's difficult work to do, to cultivate, but it's worth it. I mean, you can build this thing, folks. Like I'll, I'll sit down with my, I'll, I'll start putting patients and, you know, regulating patients to certain days so that I can have X amount of time to go do X. Um, I have pod friends like on a on a rotation kind of like you know <laughs> seeing a couple here then a couple there i have my workout routine i've got my writing routine i've got and it has to it has to be built some some of my patients who are super introverted they've got a hard time getting hold of the physical realm some of them they have this sense that things should just work out that they don't have to organize their schedules that they don't have to kind of build their lives that it should just kind of happen on its own and I'm like, no, man, you got to actually spend time every day looking at your calendar. Like every day, pick up your calendar and stare at it yeah. and make changes and make decisions and triage your life. A friend of mine who's a therapist, we were talking about this yesterday in terms of like the vitality of structure. Mm -hmm. He was a substitute teacher like 25 years ago be before becoming a therapist. And mm -hmm. he was a substitute teacher like, like a preschool, not a preschool, but like a kindergarten. 
And so every single day in kindergarten, your teacher does the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you have the structure. Mm -hmm. What happens when the substitute teacher comes and provides any type of different experience than that teacher? He gets the kids freak sh out. Shredded. The kids freak. I remember shredding a substitute teacher in yeah. high school. Oh, that was kind of the coolest part of substitute teachers oh is shredding them. Oh my God. They were like, it's like target <laughs> practice. We, we, should just, we should just come with bows and arrows and slingshots and just done it right. There know? was always the veiled threat from the teacher. It's like, if you treat the substitute teacher poorly, you're really in trouble. I never found that to be true. My, my teachers never said that shit. Because the thing is, they would just, it was public school. So they just wouldn't show up that day for whatever reason. And they would send in a sub and you'd walk in like, who the heck is this? And we'd look at each other like, yeah. And that was a really popular surfer job where I grew up. So like a lot of times, like, cause you could be finished with college and not have to commit to a full-time job. So like a lot of times when you get the substitute teachers, they'd be like surfer guys that I would know. Oh, and really? Yeah. Yeah. That's and funny. so I was always cool with the ones that surfed, but the well, other guys, it was like, they nah. Would they pass like, a doobie around the classroom? Like what <laughs> no, would they do to? No, <laughs> no these were the, no brah could you just keep it down back there brah please <laughs> just like you know but what we were saying was like the idea of like things are just going to work out uh -huh. that's not having a plan and yeah. so i think the example i was given about substitute teachers like the kids freak because you're breaking structure mm -hmm. and not to say that you have to be like regimented to a level that it's like just extremely rigid but if you have a general idea about your day people with anxiety struggle because they're worried about future outcomes mm -hmm. and when you have unpredictable outcomes you're going to be more anxious so mm -hmm. when you can think about okay what time are my meetings like mm -hmm. what time am i going to eat what time am i going to go to bed mm -hmm. those are controllable things yeah those are all things that if we do correctly we might experience a little bit less worry do you ever see people who try to control too much and yeah, can't let go yeah how do you deal with them ask about it <laughs> hey why you do that no but uh, no being really curious because okay. you, you do get a lot of control in there you probably see that yourself like yeah. i mean control comes from another for for a number of reasons very oftentimes seeking safety structure sometimes people come from very chaotic environments and have created a lot of structure and order in their life and so the interactions that they have with other people right they have to assert as much control as possible you see that in the substance abuse world big time yeah you do one thing on control, I think it's interesting that you knew you actually didn't do this, but a lot of therapists will say, this person has control issues and they kind of end there. And it's like, well, control what exactly? Yeah, yeah. And in the case that you're talking about, they're trying to control their fear. They're trying to control, they're, they're, they're concerned their life is going to get away from them, that they are going to like lose money or that they're going to lose <clears throat> friendships or that they're going to lose their sanity. Mm -hmm. What are you trying to control? I would just say to everyone out there, if you find you have control issues, ask yourself that one singular question. Well, what are you trying to control? What are you actually worried about? I, I ask myself that. So what, what are your control issues, Brad? So many. I mean, do <laughs> you got like three hours to do this podcast? Uh, we do, actually. Yeah. Like I'm going to end up curled up in a ball if we talk about my control well, issues. Well, if you don't end up curled up into a ball, Brad, I'm not doing my job. Um, my control issues. Man, I don't know. Um, I, I'm a little bit like you in terms of the binge eating. I, I have a hard time with food myself. You? Yeah. Yeah, I do. But you're so svelte. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I wasn't always. I mean, I, I've, I can I can put on weight real quick, but sometimes I think it is like, you know, personal control of freedom. This might be a better question for my wife to be like, what are Brad's control issues? And then she'll... Oh, she'll have nothing but good things to say, I'm sure. She'll, she'll have a laundry list of <laughs> Brad's issues related to control and not... I remember this one girl I went out, I went out with, she said, you're very particular. I'm like, she's right. 
I'm really particular. I have to have things just in a certain way or I lose my mind. And you don't realize that until someone else is around you because you make all these adjustments all day long. And suddenly when you're like in someone else's space and you're, you know, it's like, why are you, you know, adjusting the the frying pan perfectly? (laughs) You know, like, what are you, what's up with that? Well, you know, I'm trying to think like my, my wife would, would probably say that like my control issues are over my own kind of personal independence. Okay. Like I'm really controlling about that. Like my routines in the morning, like the idea of on a Tuesday morning saying, Hey, should we go out to breakfast or something like that? The answer is going to be absolutely not. Like there's something about. Really? um, Yeah. No going out to breakfast on a Tuesday morning. I mean, I I shouldn't say it that that, That originally, but I I will. Why do you have such, why are you such, what do you have against Tuesdays? Well, you know, say I wanted to go to jujitsu or go surfing that morning. Like if the waves are good, I'm going to freak out. Okay. Okay. Surfing's like this horrible addiction that you can never, it's like this activity that's like veiled in positivity, but it's like this thing that keeps you living in like expensive communities and (laughs) (laughs) and you're just buying surfboards and just like talking about how it used to be. And it's just this thing. I I went surfing this morning and it sucked, but it was like, it was daylight savings. And I woke up, I was like, what, 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 you know, what could the surf be doing? It's, it's, it's March in San Francisco. The waves suck. Is it daylight savings? Yeah, this morning. I wasn't sure. I actually texted you to wonder if you were struggling with it or not. Oh, yeah, that's right. I thought everything was wonky because I, I got up and my, my phone said, that's why the kitchen clock is an hour slow because my Dude. phone sped up an hour because it's smarter than I am. I yeah. actually got up at nine o'clock today. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, here's a control issue I can name over the last 24 hours. I went around to all of my clocks last night and like set them ahead of time so I wouldn't be... So I wouldn't be weird this morning. Why but... do you have such stupid clocks? Uh... Why don't you? Why don't you take control issues to the next level and just get smart clocks? Yeah, what's wrong with you? Oh, good man. My oven isn't smart yet. Neither is my microwave. Okay, so um, so Brad, what else are you seeing in the therapy world after a year lockdown? That virtual therapy is here to stay. Yes, indeed. I've started working with folks that I've never seen in my life, mm-hmm. and it's been so cool there's people that live like i don't know within a mile of my office that i've i've never met but they're doing really strong work in therapy mm-hmm. and improving and sometimes i actually say they like the anonymity mm-hmm. of not being in a room with a person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. some of my people have moved you know a lot of people are moving out of san francisco you keep them yeah they they like that continuity and across the golden gate bridge uh, we got marin i Used to have a couple families that drive their teenager down to see me from Marin, uh-huh. um, but now I can say yes to referrals if they're okay with uh, virtual. And then when it opens up, I'm going to leave it up to them how they want to how mm, they want to proceed. Marin needs a lot of help too, folks. There's a complete therapist shortage everywhere. Well, also there's a there's a surplus of insanity in Marin County. <laughs> <laughs> there's a surplus of insanity everywhere. I was down in Monterey oh, yesterday. Oh, you got to be uh, so nice. Go ahead. Where I, where I grew up, and every therapist down there is booked. Really booked, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm wondering, um, what are there any qualitative differences between a Zoom session and an in person session? Yeah, I think so. I think seeing the whole person sometimes. There's a couple of people that I've worked with when we've converted to Zoom. Just the way that they show up, like I have one guy that I've always referred to him as like a foot tapper when he gets angry, mm-hmm. and I can't see his feet tapping. Uh-huh. You know, you can just I'm I'm making movements right now, but you can kind of see him start to fidget in his chair. And had I not known that about him, mm-hmm. it would be really hard to read. I feel like over the phone and Zoom, my therapy becomes much more goal-oriented. Oh, 
Really? Yeah, I find that I'm much more direct sometimes and I'm having to learn to really chill out more and be a little bit more wide open because when someone comes into my therapy room, I think I'm more empathetic and I can pick up on their feelings better. Mm-hmm. And there's something, I, I just get, I'm getting more information. Okay. I think it works fine via Zoom. I just have to, I have to step it up in that area. Like I have to step up my, like ask myself really concretely, what is this person feeling right now? Like what, what, what environment are they in? What did that little movement of their finger mean? Whereas when the person is, is literally in front of me, I intuitively, like, I just know. Mm-hmm. And via zoom, I have to derive what I know. Are you saying you're an aura reader, Ben? No, <laughs> no, I'm not told you a word. I'm not from Marin County. This is not. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> sorry. I had to say it. It's um, okay. You have a blue aura right now. Yeah. Well, I went surfing today, you know. Um, what did you remind me of? With Zoom, I feel like I've developed more of a patience myself. I can talk over people. I know that about myself and I've learned that about myself just going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just, I feel like I'm getting to like the conclusion faster than someone else's, even though they're the expert in their own life. Okay. So when you talk over someone in Zoom, it just, it's not okay. It doesn't work. I've really had to learn in terms of adapting how to like just kind of really sit back, which is something I've needed to do. It has been a helpful thing for me to learn. You know, the other thing I was going to say, like on Zoom and phone, when you feel like it's got to be more goal oriented, I've really had to learn how to check in with myself too about, okay, why am I trying to solve this for this person? Right. Like as a therapist, I mean, we want to be helpful. And sometimes like when we just go to solve something, we're not allowing them to use their own skill. Mm-hmm. to navigate the situation it really goes back to that humanistic like the person's an expert in their own life one of my clinical supervisors said a long time ago when you're stuck like that be okay with staying stuck like that's the experience they're having and one thing to think about is like what's the unmet need that they're trying to meet right here and operate from that place okay yeah i have a hard time um remembering that a lot of times what patients just need is to spill and talk and be heard and i mean i do that i do that but I'm such a problem solver sometimes mm-hmm. that it, it gets in my, I get my own, I trip over my own feet sometimes. Yeah. I think, I think we're all guilty of that. Sometimes the answer is pretty obvious. It's like, look, you need to leave that relationship or it's, it's time for you to quit that job. Sometimes it's obvious, but like you have to let that person solve their own problem. Yeah. I think it's because I work with so many people in recovery. It's like, stop oh, yeah. doing the cocaine. Don't drink that beer. Mm-hmm. You know, don't put that needle in your arm again. It's not good for you mm-hmm. to stop that. You know, but they don't always listen to me. So the work that you do in terms of like you're you have more people in active recovery. Yeah, that's that's really difficult because you look at like just how much people stand to lose, and it seems so obvious sometimes. But I I'm not an addict myself, so the idea of mm. using a substance doesn't make sense to me to cope. I thought I would see more substance abuse cases during COVID, but I feel like I haven't. I feel like I'm seeing people who are. Like the subtle amount of stress, the everyday stress seems to be, I see more of a corrosive Mm -hmm. thing happening to people. I thought a year ago, I thought for sure I would see people imploding all over the place and just losing jobs, all these things. Instead, what I'm seeing is couples that are edging a little bit faster towards divorce than they thought. Mm -hmm. I see people a little bit more stressed out and tired and kind of whiny than I thought. I'm seeing people who are suffering a little bit more under their midlife crisis than I thought. It's almost like everything is in bold, like if it were a font. But I, I thought it would be like, to continue my terrible metaphor, I thought the, the font would go from like 12 point to like 25 point. Instead, sure. it's just like 12 point to 18 or 14. When I moved to San Francisco, 
San Francisco is the city of my birth. So I knew I'd be happier here, but I knew I wouldn't be amazingly happy, but I knew that I'd be a little bit more happy every day than I was living in Marin County, where I was a little bit sad every day to mm -hmm. look up and go, oh God, I'm still here. This is not the spot. I love trashing Marin County. Anyway, it's if you can do things for yourself every day that make your life a little bit better every day, that really, really adds up. And what I'm seeing in COVID is I'm seeing more of a subtraction, that people are just struggling a little bit more everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Everything is just a little bit harder. Everything's just a little bit more, ugh. And it's building up, almost like a toxin is building up in their system. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Like the barriers to things like are greater. Like I, I had to have like surgery during COVID. Uh -huh. That was a major pain in the ass. Sure. All the hoops to jump and mm -hmm. it's just everything is like 25% more difficult. Yeah. And so as a result, the basics of therapy, we mentioned this earlier, but mentioned again, is just the self-care piece, the making sure my patients stay on a schedule, the making sure that, that they are able to take sort of vacations whenever form they're able to take them, like really pushing them on those things because people have forgotten how to do those things. You know, one thing I was going to say too, I know we've been kind of trashing COVID this whole podcast. Um, trashing COVID? <laughs> but... COVID is amazing. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, back to those invitations. There's also been a lot of opportunities for clarity in your life. Mm -hmm. What about my shitty friends think that don't have my best interests? Yeah, get that's rid of true. them. What about these people that support me and want the best for me? Hang out with them. Yeah. Why am, why am I toiling away at my job till 7.30 at night when it doesn't matter? Yeah. I wanna be off at 5.30 and I wanna hang out with my friends. Those are becoming much clearer. That's the cool stuff. I find myself oftentimes with my friends really missing them and being upset, but that's also information on how much I value friendships and connection. Yeah. Like when I bump into my buddies from jujitsu, like you just go, dude, this is one I want to get back to. At the mm -hmm. beginning of the pandemic, like when, when jujitsu was like so illegal, it wasn't funny. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, what am I responding to here? Right. I'm sad. I miss people. Like I love mm -hmm. my relationships down there. Like that part of my routine, all that really did was clarify like, oh, I love being there. Yeah. And that's something that I'm going to lean more into. These are the things that sustain me in my life. Good, positive friendships, you know, hanging out with my wife. Like that's been awesome. We look at each other all the time during the pandemic. And we live in a small one bedroom apartment with our dog as our couples therapist. And we look at each other all the time. We're like, this isn't that bad. We're doing okay. Yeah. And we, we get along really well. And like, that's also been really clarifying where there's people that are like, it's become very clear to them that like, this isn't the relationship for them. As sad as that sounds, like maybe that's a positive because it helps them kind of realize, okay, how do I move forward in a more positive direction? Whether it's a relationship or job or way of relating to your friends, it's not working for you. Your answer is a lot more clear. Well said, sir. What do you want to talk about next? We got the nurse thing. We've got um, the social media thing. <laughs> Let's talk about social media for a second. Because who doesn't want to talk about social media? Brad, what would you like to say about social media? One thing I'll put out there is like you and I, I think are both pretty bad at it. Yes. I, I don't participate in social media. I haven't had Facebook for nine years. Oh, wow. I, yeah. And I've heard it's awful. All the yelling back and forth and all the, the fake news. People have more time on their devices. Right. The underlying anxiety, it didn't help that it was an election year. Yeah. As well as just 
the yeah. amount of anxiety and and social and economic uncertainty and unrest. Mm-hmm. It was just a tinderbox for conflict. I True. mean, um, I have an Instagram that I don't use. If I look at it, it's through my desktop browser. I, I don't post anymore. I really had to become mindful about like, why am I posting? All I'm trying to do is get likes and reactions. Mm-hmm. And that is fulfilling a cheap side of me. And yeah. so... I like other people's photos, but I've got a pretty hard and fast rule where it's like, I'll only say like cute dog, nice family, <laughs> nothing else. But you just hear people, they're like jumping on top of one another to prove each other wrong. And like, then there's next door. I don't know if you use that. Mm-hmm. That's got to be the worst social media platform. I, I guess Facebook and Twitter are pretty bad, but it's like people in your neighborhood yeah. and they're and they're arguing over like- I, I Bicycles. Well, you want to hear some crazy ones? Yeah. Wood-burning fireplaces and gas-powered leaf blowers. Like people are signing petitions and calling each other like Nazis over. And you're like, guys, it's it's wood smoke. Let's dial it back a little bit. Yeah. If it really hurts your lungs, maybe you should think about moving to a different area where there's not wood smoke. Yeah. Or how about this? Instead of posting on next door, knocking on your neighbor's door and having a polite conversation with them about your lungs. Ooh, no way, They might man. tell you to fuck off. They'll never do that. Language. Well, social media is the, it's a playground for cowards. I, I, have you heard of doom scrolling? What? Doom scrolling on Twitter. No. Doom scrolling is when it's like you look at like, you know, someone that you don't agree with tweet and then you just go through all the horrible conversations, like people like literally doom scrolling is like you kind of just unraveling through just continuing to look through these Twitter posts and like, arguing with people saying no it's not that way you're it's, basically scrolling for negative conversations pretty much that's that's the way that i understand it and at so least. what you're what, what you're sort of saying is that in covid because people aren't out in the world interacting with each other all of these things have become horribly amplified yeah. and friendships when someone like unlike somebody on facebook it's actually a really really big deal yeah. mm. the way that i would summarize social media it doesn't bring out the best within ourselves. Why is that? Are we just afraid? Is it that? Is it that our culture hasn't like? Because if you go to um, like the East Coast or England, like in London, there's this thing called Speaker's Corner where people stand up on boxes and whatever and just say the most stupid crap. But there's like a place for it. No way, really. Yeah, Speaker's Corner. It's 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 Hyde Park, I think. Is that right? Someone will correct me. But yeah, and these people stand up and they 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 just talk. And on the East Coast, you know, people will yell at you, what the fuck, motherfucker, what are you da 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 to your mom? Like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. There's this venue or social construct for expressing negativity. Okay. That's acceptable. And I think that America as a whole, I guess this is not including the East Coast. I don't know. No one's, has someone, can someone do a study, please? That there's not a venue for expressing and arguing and how to comport yourself in a way like the idea of knocking on somebody's door and saying, hey, I'd like to express a concern is the worst possible thing you could do. Mm-hmm. We're not allowed to do that. All that negativity comes out on social media where it's basically anonymous and you're completely safe. Fair enough. And also the other, the other thing about social media is that everything you say is permanent. And I think yeah. people have really cued into that. And it's it's sort of like you've written it into the great, it's like it's almost like the uh, blockchain of, the, of, of, <laughs> of what is social. It's like once you say it, it's, it's there forever, you know, and there's always going to be proof. And like, yeah, nice dog. Hey, nice hat. Good job. Yeah. Well done. I like that. I don't love it, 
I like it. Yeah. You know, and, and you know what I do? I treat social media as though I'm always talking to my patients because oh, like when okay. a patient texts me and this is more and more common, especially during COVID yeah. patients will text me and call me throughout the week if they're having a crisis. Right. Mm-hmm. And I have to be very mindful when I'm getting a text from a patient because it's there forever. They can hold up and say, look, you texted me this, you so such and such. Or what if I say the, or something really horrible and I can get, you know, my behavioral board can come down on me. Mm-hmm. So I have to be really thoughtful, which is good and correct. But that's how I am on social media. That's a good way of operating. You know what I've told people about text messaging? Because you probably hear about people getting a text message battles all the time. Yes. I talk about like if you're going to text somebody something, no more than what you would put on a, a post-it note on the refrigerator for somebody. Yes. I, I mean, like it just the text message is like such a bad form of communication. Ultimately, it like it was great when I texted you, I was here a little bit early, but for me to express that I, if I was upset with you, yeah. that wouldn't be the best avenue. So no. the idea behind disagreements is like when we have a disagreement and we work through it constructively, shouldn't be the end result. We both have a, a better understanding of each other. That doesn't mm. seem to happen. It's just like, you're wrong. I'm right go F yourself, whatever. Where when you think about if we have a disagreement and we do it constructively, Mm -hmm. we both come away from the interaction having grown. Whether or not we agree, Mm -hmm. we both have a clear understanding of one another. Yeah, I caught myself, I was having a text argument with a friend of mine the day and I I stopped myself actually just a few sentences in. I remember deleting the text and going, we should discuss this in person. Yeah, Like I actually tell my patients, do not get into arguments via text. Yeah. Like you said, the refrigerator note or just text messages are for information only. Mm-hmm. That's it. Nothing else. No opinions, no nothing. With young people, text message is the primary form of communication. Ugh. It's tough. <sighs> I, I've literally gone through appointments with folks where I think I'm under the auspices of thinking that it is going to be an in-person conversation they're having. They're going, so I text them this way. I'm like, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. This, this is an in-person, my friend. My favorite is when the young people talk about a conversation that they had with a friend of theirs and they really get into everything, the back and forth of it. And it turns out the whole fucking thing was on text message. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I mean, this interaction wasn't even live ever. No, we were playing Fortnite or, or yeah. whatever it was. Like they, yeah. that, that, that happened in some virtual space or on the text or wherever. And then they'll have record of it and they'll bring it up and they'll make me read it. And I'm like, oh man, I don't read your goddamn text thread no totally but i do <laughs> one thing i don't know if we, we put this in the uh in, in kind of the the show notes or whatever seeing a lot of teenagers mm-hmm. and young people them not being in school has been catastrophic yeah i feel strongly about that. about that let's talk about that it is so heartbreaking to see my young people uh-huh. um, not just like not being able to graduate high school in person or middle school in person like that's sad but just to see over time just the insidious kind of educational despair they have mm-hmm. over a year of being in front of their computer and mm-hmm. in some instances no concrete plan to return you're seeing kids that were once performing really well in school mm-hmm. their grades slipping and really asking me as a professional like oh, what you know in therapy what what's the point of all this this doesn't yeah. matter i i don't care yeah and i can't say that i would feel any differently i really don't know what to do there i think the kids should be back in school definitely safely definitely it's been catastrophic for for both kids and families yeah. and i've had to model with my teenagers you know again it's it's a little bit of a different role working with teenagers cuz they they look at you as an adult cuz i am one mm-hmm. but 
I've had to really model uncertainty to them saying, hey, this is my first pandemic. I'm anxious too. I'm uncertain. I don't know. Yeah. But I get it. I can't imagine when I was in high school, if they would have said no school, you've got to stay at home. There weren't even laptops when I was in high school. Can you imagine? That would have been, oh, would have been a disaster. Awful. Awful. What would they have done, do you suppose? Homework packets. Remember when you were sick? For like a week, they'd send you home with a homework packet. I would have been horrible at it. I've already decided that if I was the teenager that was in the pandemic, my grades would drop. I would go surfing every day. My mm -hmm. parents would have no control. Yeah, some part of me wonders in retrospect if we did this whole thing wrong. I don't know. I'm okay with being in a permanent state of not knowing yeah. until afterwards. I don't we have couldn't a decision. Have known. We couldn't have known. So we took the most drastic action possible because uh -huh. we, did, we didn't have enough information. It's. I, I, I keep saying this. It'll be a very interesting book to read in five years, hopefully retrospectively. Yeah, yeah, well, can you talk a little bit about your wife as a nurse? Yeah. And I remember in the beginning of the pandemic at 7 p.m., there'd be clapping. Yeah. Of cheering. People, they would play music from their homes. Yeah, for the health workers. For the health workers. And then at 8 o'clock, people would howl. Remember that? Yeah. Both of those have stopped, but I think the 7 p.m. thing stopped way before the 8 p.m. The first few months of the pandemic, in terms of the first responders, we were getting free meals at places. Oh, wow. Like you would get emails from like Fiorella Pizza. So uh -huh. shout out to them. Yeah. But... We would get free pizza for for her being a nurse, and it was really cool. You know, they would people would play the drums, and and people were really kind in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. What my wife and other nurses have reported in the very beginning, there was no one really visiting the ER other than real emergencies and COVID. The emergency room is this wild place of mm -hmm. people trying to seek all sorts of whether it's food or drugs or just to just to stay warm. So for a while, they were working really hard, like they always do. But there was this like real outpouring of gratitude, you know, from the community. My wife has said that has gone the opposite direction. Like people are meaner than ever. Really? In the ER now. Yeah. With patients? Yeah. Every Like everybody's back. There's still COVID. I think it's everybody's collective anxiety where people are really like cruel and short with hospital staff, like Jeez. noticeably so. And that has to do with you know, the medical care system being under-resourced and overused, nurse and doctor burnout's crazy. But that, that was something that she's really, she's brought up quite a bit, like the level of kindness, like the people that were playing the drums and singing mm -hmm. might now be in the hospital being quite curt and rude. Interesting. She also had a really interesting observation about, they flew a couple planes from San Francisco to New York at the beginning of the pandemic with medical staff because we had an overabundance of people in San Francisco to go help out. She said all of the nurses and doctors that came back from New York take COVID so much more seriously than people on the West Coast because they were there in the very beginning and people were dying. They didn't know the treatment protocols. I think in San Francisco, we've largely been spared the trauma of thousands of people dying from COVID. But the people that went to New York came back and were like, oh, that was real. People were dying and we didn't know what to do. Wild stuff. Right. Yeah. I, had a, I have a friend who's a nurse practitioner. I believe she's up in Sacramento. She was visibly angry as she was describing you know, people who don't take it seriously and just watching, just watching people die in, in mm -hmm. you, know, you know, pools of their own pink lung fluid every day and just got so pissed off at all the deniers of, you know, and just, just because she sees it, she's there and she sees people, one patient dying after the other, patients who were formerly Trump supporters or didn't believe that COVID was a big deal on their deathbed saying, my God, I should have listened. My wife's given me examples of people coming in with COVID and when they're diagnosed with COVID, they say like, no, I have walking pneumonia or I have this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when it's brought to them, their actual diagnosis is COVID. They say, that's not a, that's, 
that's that's bullshit that's not real yeah yeah that little that little microbe on that thing is is fake isn't that wild though because some people i've got a friend that's currently got covid Mm -hmm. he's completely asymptomatic so it's like this thing where it is the head fuck of all head fuck viruses where on one hand it can be fatal on the other hand it can almost invite you to think that like Oh, this isn't a thing. It's a yeah. mild cold. Yeah, it's plausible deniability. There's enough variance in the symptomology. Um, but I think it's also, it's the first time the average person has really come in close contact with a disease and a new disease and how complex disease. I mean, people are learning to sort of dissect. They're, they're trying to approach this with their untrained medical minds. How many medical experts have you met that have no background in medicine? <laughs> so many, Rad. bro. I always so say this, many. like, well, I've had people like, you know, getting the vaccine and they'll start talking about like, oh, it's the RNA, blah, blah, blah. And like, like, I don't know if I'm going to get this. Yeah. One of my strengths is that I can point out what a simpleton I am. Mm-hmm. And I'll say like, can you describe to me what a protein is? Because I can't yeah i can't yeah i know that there's protein in chicken there's protein powder but in terms of me telling you what that is medically yeah and if i don't know shit any of these issues like the things with you know hospitals supposedly making more money based on how many infections how many covid people they get in it's like it's a it's usually it's like if you just dig a little bit into it you realize it's bullshit it's almost like there's this plausibility factor it's plausible that hospitals could make money Therefore, they must be. It's plausible that there are uh, are lots of asymptomatic people walking around. Therefore, there are a lot or it's a myth that there's any. Like you you can take your own little thing in either direction. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like there's this there's this sort of metaphysical jump that people make without realizing they're doing it. They're actually inserting their own idea into an equation without knowing it. Yeah. This is sort of a weird comparison, but the Dalai Lama said that the assumption that consciousness comes from the mind is a metaphysical assumption. We don't wow. actually know what consciousness is. We know what neurons are. Mm-hmm. We know that there's gray matter and all this stuff, but we don't know what consciousness is. And to assume that it comes from those things is a metaphysical assumption. And that's <laughs> profound because people yeah. don't realize when they're making that jump from what is measurable to what is non-measurable yeah. or to what is unknown. And they're doing it all over the place. And it why, drives why me people, crazy. Why do people do that? I can tell when I'm doing that and I have to pull myself back. And I've actually taken a lot more comfort in not knowing things. That just feels healthier to me. But why do people do that? Power. Power. A desire to be right. What happens when you can unbutton reality? Let's say you have a fear of, um, let's say you're hypochondriac. Okay. Okay. And you become convinced that COVID is everywhere and it's going to kill you in a minute. Mm-hmm. All right. There's a lot of evidence to support your theory, but there's also a lot of evidence to say, you know what, you're, you're being a little overkill. But what happens is as soon as you're able to get in there and tinker with reality and move information around and use confirmation bias and cherry pick stuff, like the way people will cherry pick medical studies to say, well, this, 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 and they're usually looking at the wrong part of the study, or they're looking at a bad study, or there's a whole milieu of studies that they haven't looked at. They're just looking at the one that makes their point. Once they construct a perfect reality that confirms their insanity yeah that gives them permission to do that with anything so they can confirm any unconscious shadowy desire or construct that exists within them that they want to and that makes them feel good because that part of them has never seen the light of day before and suddenly it can be expressed it can be wielded 
I was reading about the psychological types, and one of the things that we don't get into in psychological types is that your is whatever your psychological weakness is. So if you're a, for instance, a thinking intuit, if you're a thinking sensation type, your weakness is going to be probably feeling intuition, the opposite. And a lot of times, if someone is super concrete, their intuitive side is really, really undeveloped. And what will happen is that that will manifest as paranoia. The point is that I'm making is that the way that people are diving into all these constructs to express their insanity is that their insanity has not had a, has not had a chance to be processed. It hasn't a chance to be talked about. It's usually trauma related in mm-hmm. some way, and it has not had a chance to rear its head. And suddenly the person and the person will feel internally balanced and good because they're able to kind of excise it in a way totally unconscious that's an interesting way of putting it you know you're right like to have a sense of control that's a huge part of like when someone's experienced trauma is like what can you control versus what you can't well if, listen if a person feels internally powerless for some reason yeah they're afraid of something they are they feel like they're not good enough whatever it is whatever it is that is not processed because it's in shadow okay right the disabused part of your personality whatever the fuck that is the the underlying buzz that the discomfort that you always kind of carry with you if suddenly you do something you externalize you do a drug you hurt mm-hmm. somebody you hurt yourself you do whatever you do and you feel this you, those things feel good to you because suddenly you feel internally balanced that that underlying sickness that underlying buzz suddenly abates you're gonna do that again and conspiracy theories and bad thinking about diseases and vaccines and hypochondria is just one way to do that it's one form of externalization it's a sense of ah, oh, i feel balanced in this moment i feel good are you kind of describing like that's a way of like kind of exercising your shadow yes wow it's exactly what Very it cool. is It's exactly what it is. The shadow makes itself known. And pretty much all the problems in the world are a symptom of that, of people exercising their shadow material, exorcising it, such as drug use. Drug use is an externalization of an internal process. Mm -hmm. It's an an externalized solution Mm -hmm. to an internal problem. That's a better way of saying it. Mm -hmm. Hurting somebody is, is also another version of that. You feel diminished. You feel put down. You feel like you're a bad person. You go and you hurt somebody. Oh, I feel better now. Like, fuck you. You didn't need to do that. And war is like that. People who are driven to have political power are like that. All the problems in the world, in my opinion, are basically externalized solutions to internal problems, basically, at the end of the day. And COVID has provided a a whole new venue for people to externalize their crap all over the place. That's what I think. Wow. Go <laughs> That's the caffeine, folks. It works. Um, listen, I, I, I feel complete. How do you feel? I feel good, man. I, you know, I, I knew this was going to be kind of a chaotic podcast. Um, <laughs> That's we're trying okay. to control chaos, but I, it's we like can't... I knew I was going to wander all over the place. It's okay, Brad. Because, uh, man, I'm I'm perfectly okay with saying like I, I don't know, man. It's uh, if there's anything it's been in the last year, like. Thought it was going to be three weeks. Mm-hmm. Here we are a year. I'm okay with not knowing for now. Like that's knowing something, right? Yeah, it is. I'm <laughs> I'm okay too. But you know what? We're we're doing good. We're surviving. You know, and the, but we're not fat. I was thinking about this on the car ride over here. Like I can be cynical, but I think I'm like this closet optimist. Mm-hmm. I just hope on the other side that we take the things that we've learned 
mm-hmm. the clear messages that we want to use as values. I, I really hope that we take those things with us. Mm-hmm. I remember on the podcast we did with Coping with COVID, there was this example of like how nice people were in the first couple of weeks of the pandemic. I gave this example of like, you know, you pull up the stop sign, no, you go, no, you go like mm-hmm. that, that sense of kind of community. And I've seen that over this past year that really diminish the being at home and just mm-hmm. the insidiousness of like a year on the couch yeah. with only social media and just how difficult that's been for people. But I do think and hope on the other side of this, that this is going to help people look more closely at their relationships, learn how to value themselves, mm-hmm. learn how for one to be okay with working hard at taking care of yourself. I, I talk to a lot of my folks all the time about what they're looking forward to, even though like there's no end in sight. And like mm-hmm. a lot of people have come up with a lot of clarity. If you can act on that, mm-hmm. man, that might be pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm optimistic. Like I, I don't think I'm gonna shave my beard until like jujitsu becomes legal. You know, I might look like Tom Hanks in Castaway or something like that. You but should be so lucky. I uh, I know, right? Um, yeah, he was the first COVID guy, right? I guess he was, wasn't he? <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm I'm just looking forward to like the world opening up and hopefully taking some of the things with me that that I've learned. Like mm-hmm. I've learned how to. I don't read so I don't read psychology books anymore, but I read uh, books that I find lots of good psychology in. I've been reading Why We Sleep. I heard that one's like really good. Yeah, it's really good. What am I reading right now? Um, I'm reading Chasing the Scream. The fuck is that? Uh, there's the, the guy scream? Johan Hari. He wrote Lost Connections, which is about loneliness, and Chasing the Scream is about addiction. I figured you'd know that oh, one. Oh God, no! I don't want to read about addiction. Yeah, I've had enough addiction. I'm not saying I know everything. It's just like, uh, like I can't watch Intervention. Oh yeah, I don't. I, I just yeah, can't do I, it. Yeah. I did read Kitchen Confidential. That's been my favorite book oh, of. Uh, that's that's been the that. best book of. Uh, read that's really good. I'll give you my copy. I'm gonna read that. Man, that guy seems so cool. Yeah, he is. Other book recommendations. I'm also reading um, How to Change Your Mind. I read that. Yeah, Pollen. that's a good one. And uh, no, I do not microdose. Yeah, what are you? <laughs> I know we're, we're kind of bouncing all over. What are your What are your thoughts on that? A lot of people are using psychedelics right now, and I've seen mixed results in my practice. But uh, I, I, what, I it, I'm just curious I think what it's you think. Psychological gambling. Do you? Yeah, you don't know what door you're going to open. Yeah. Um, I think it's also a cheap way out sometimes if they're in a work. I mean, I'm not ethically allowed to recommend it. They're illegal drugs. Yeah. I know they're doing controlled studies. I would encourage anyone who's interested in that to do, to go, if, the, if you can do it legally, there's, I think, clinics for psilocybin and clinics for ketamine, I believe. I think it's dangerous. Do you? I do. I think it's dangerous. I think you can get ketamine through Kaiser now um, if everything's I, failed. You can get you can get ketamine at the, the TL. But what I'm saying is that <laughs> yes, you can. You, yes, you can. is that is that if someone has, especially a male like in his early 20s, if he's got you know low grade or nascent schizophrenia, yeah, it can destroy your life. Chances are, from what I know, you'll be fine. But what if you're not? What if you take the wrong thing? What if you take ketamine that's been laced with fentanyl for some fucking reason? Uh-huh. I mean, you don't know what's in that shit. I think it's a gamble. I really do. Okay. That's my position. Yeah. I'm undecided. Okay. I don't have any personal interest every now and then. Like I'll, I'll read a, I'll read an article and I'll say that might be kind of cool. But yeah. I also just kind of like being how I am in the world, you know? Yeah. What is therapy but a low-grade hallucinogenic experience? What is surfing and jiu-jitsu but low-grade hallucinogenic experiences or spiritual experiences? Yeah. I've done my fair share of drugs and I don't think I've had a better, more spiritually fulfilling time on a drug than I have getting choked the fuck out. Those are <laughs> you know? the, that's the thing though is like, you know, something like jiu-jitsu and surfing to do each well are long-term, long-game yeah. activities, which yeah. is what we should be shooting for. See, I've never done drugs, man. Like, I've smoked pot in my life, but, like, I've never messed with drugs. Well, I don't think you need it, Brad. 
<laughs> Listen, I think we're I think we're done. Thank you so much for coming. Dude, Ben, it's good to see you, man. Good to see you and too. I, again, like it's it's nice to be double vaccinated and just kind of hang out and not have a sense of shame of yeah the, being together. The, the wokers aren't going to come for us. Man, I, again, I, I, I said this earlier, uh, Both having both of my elder parents vaccinated just to go hang out with them. Mm-hmm. Dude, it was so cool. The vaccine works. I also had a COVID exposure and I had to get uh, tested and stuff a few times. And you did? No COVID. No man. COVID. So the, no COVID. But I... I that was a cheap way of saying like, uh, man, it's just good to return to like somewhat normal things like having dinner with my parents. And I know. found, I found a COVID on the street outside my door. Oh no. A little, little, little teeny <laughs> thing, a little COVID, a little, uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Brad. Right on, man. Thanks, Ben. Thanks right. for having me. Sure. Bye, brother. Thank you for listening. Pertinent information stemming from this podcast will appear in the program notes. Should you have any questions or would like to be a guest on my show, you may contact me at benjaminrusick at gmail.com or go to my website at benjaminrusick.com. Also, I encourage you to subscribe, share, and all the rest. Thanks again. And remember, whenever you find your plate is full, well, consider getting a bigger plate.